listeners, you're listening to another episode of Beckett's Babies, a playwriting podcast. Every week we discuss plays we love, interview theater artists, and share our thoughts on playwriting and theater. We are your hosts, Sarah Cho. And Sam Collier. And in today's episode, we're going to circle back to the topic of rewriting. In our first season, which feels like, I don't know, a lifetime ago, <laughs> we, we shared our own experiences on how we approach rewriting our plays. Um, but we were younger then, and you know, it was before the global pandemic. And, yeah. and we've aged like it was 10 before years. Before Sarah turned 30. Yeah. So this time, um, we're going to talk about our new thoughts on rewriting, and we're also going to hear what other playwrights had to say. Um, mm-hmm. So we posted a question on Twitter. Sarah, do you want to share what that question was? Yes. So the question was, playwrights, now how do you know if your new draft of a play is going to be better than the previous draft? Like, how do you know if you're making the right edits? Is it all trial and error or just all instinct? Uh, so curious to know. And uh, we got some really good, interesting responses that um, I will read and love to hear. Your thoughts, Sam? <laughs> I just want to jump in before we l- listen to these thoughts because um, I have a very clear memory from a few years ago when my dad asked me to send him a new play I had written and I said, well, first I'm going to rewrite it, so I'll send it to you when it's the next draft. And he said, what if it gets worse? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, I think that was a very formative conversation for me because he put a voice that- to everything I was worrying about already. And I remember you shared that story with me. That that was back in Iowa, I think. You shared that story yeah. with me. Mm-hmm. That really stuck with me. I, <laughs> every time I yeah. rewrite, I always think like, but what if this is worse? Like, what yeah. if this is not as good as my first draft? I don't know. Like, it is always in the back of my mind now. Thanks, Mr. Collier. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, but he, I mean, he was right. He was yeah. saying something that, you know, you have to wrestle with every time you go to rewrite something is you might actually just mess it up. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'll read this first response. Um, this is from Elizabeth K. Um, I get a feeling of well-being and calm when I'm not fighting with it anymore. When I'm wanting to work on it, I know I'm on the right track. Also, playwrights groups help. Um, that's interesting because we were just like talking about grappling. <laughs> like, well, yeah. nobody know. But this seems like this person says, once they kind of feel like, you know, I feel pretty good about this. I feel not grappling with this. Um, See, I don't know if I've ever had that experience. I feel like rewriting is always – for me, like a high energy kind of thing. It, mm-hmm. it never feels calm. It's always like I'm excited or I'm stressed out because uh, my reading is in a week, you know, or like I'm yeah. panicking because I feel like it isn't what I want it to be. And that's what fuels the rewrite. Mm-hmm. It's never like, oh, I'm feeling oh. so calm and well, confident. I guess that's I too different. Her. Well, it could be like she's writing um, – this person is rewriting not on a deadline. They're just kind of like – because it sounds like you, 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 your rewrites have been on a deadline. Um, and I, I didn't totally understand how you that feeling. Um, and the reason why I, you know, brought up this question about rewriting because I myself is going through some rewrites and there was a, a scene I wrote that I really loved. I laughed my head off, heard it out loud. I thought it was funny. I thought it was brilliant. I thought I was the next 
check off. <laughs> but then, but then the, the, the but then like the response at the end was like kind of uh, lukewarm. They, they didn't see it any special oh, about it, and then so I just saw, and then which got me to think like, okay, like going back to the drawing board here, like what, why did I write that scene? Like why? Did, thought did I think that was important to write this scene I kind of thought I knew but after hearing out loud and hearing some responses that maybe it was maybe it is still a right scene but maybe I just misplaced it or maybe Mm. I um maybe I need better way to set it up or something I don't know but just like a better audience (laughs) (laughs) Mm. the the check off of better audience (laughs) (laughs) um yeah so that was just that's my response. Um, here's another response. This is from Chris Leva, who was uh, a guest on the show in the first season. Shout uh, out to that excellent episode. If you haven't heard it yet, you should go listen to oh, it. Oh, so good. Um, he he responded, I can tell it's going to be better when I finally figured out the tone, the theme, and can get in the head of each character in every single scene. Sometimes mm. I just feel that in my gut. So that's like a gut. Uh, reaction to I really love that idea because so often when I'm rewriting I'm Mm -hmm. going back and thinking about the entire play and every scene and every beat from one character's perspective so like Mm. I'll do a rewrite where I'm focusing on character a and then I'll do a rewrite where I'm focused on character b and because it's so hard to hold them all in your mind at the same time I see yeah and and it does kind of feel like uh, what's that game? Is it Jenga where you like pull out the wooden blocks and then the whole thing collapses? Yeah, that's Jenga. So it kind of feels like that where if uh-huh. I move something, if I move the wrong piece, the whole thing is going to collapse. And so, um, you know, if I if I change a scene to focus on one character's perspective, then I have to go through and work on it again from another character's perspe- perspective to make sure it still makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I'm kind of in the similar boat, but I'm like wondering like, okay, I guess this this is not even um the same thing, but maybe the process is different, but like but instead of like having to go through all those pages, like isn't that where like an outline might be helpful? <laughs> like kind of a, creating some sort of like um, I don't know. I don't know how to like not a, I don't know what but like a very brief outline of all that character's beats and then like the, that that character's story and then because I'm like I think I get so overwhelmed by the pages that I almost yeah. I'm like, you know what? I think I'm just gonna sit back and not <laughs> not do this right I mean, now. I totally see your point. For me, an outline doesn't usually work because I just need to I just want to know every detail. Like I need to be looking mm. at it on a more fine-grained yeah. level. I wish I I wish I was the kind of person who could work from an yeah. outline, but um I so far I haven't found that to be helpful. So you would go through a draft from that pers- that character's perspective, rewrite it in that way, and then if you do go to a new draft you'll go through another character's perspective and, and kind of follow yeah, that Yeah, and way. sometimes it's just a matter of, like, rereading the play where I'm literally imagining myself in that character's shoes. And I might change two lines, mm. you know, or sharpen a couple of things. But 
I have my focus on that person's point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so especially with bigger scenes, if I have a scene with like five people, uh-huh, um, yeah. there might be a character that I haven't really been paying attention to because I've been focusing on the main substance of the scene. And maybe there's a character who's like in the background, but there's a line that they would respond to, or there's a moment where they, we should hear their voice, but because I haven't been focusing on that character, mm-hmm. it's not there mm-hmm. yet. And so I just have to make sure um, that they're, that they're fully present. And sometimes that just doesn't come out till rehearsal when I'm like, oh, wow, yeah. that person has been silent for <laughs> 10 minutes yeah. and they, they doesn't really know what to do right now. Uh, I should probably give them yeah something to hang on to. So That's so true. Yeah, I think um, that, that's part of it. I, I always forget that, that that's helpful and part of the process is like hearing it out loud. That could yeah. change. Like that could be a whole game changer. I'm like, oh, wow, like – that whole act <laughs> is not how I thought it would pan out or how I thought it would mm-hmm. read. And, um, uh, yeah, just like hearing it out loud is definitely helpful for rewriting. And um, a lot of times I'm just cutting. Like when I hear something yeah. like that, I'm like, oh, my God, this scene God. is so long and slow. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to cut. Yeah. I, stuff. Yeah, one, one of the things I've noticed I often do and then – is like just repetitive, like repetitive. They say the same if they say the same thing over mm, and over, yeah. And maybe in different ways, but like it's they their objective or whatever has not changed. They're, they're just you know they're just saying the same thing over and over. And then so I like listen for that, and I'll like remove it and delete, 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 delete. Um, <laughs> Um, do you okay so here's a question for you when you're rewriting do you save all your drafts like when you're doing all that uh, deleting is it gone forever or do you still have a draft that has all those lines um, you change your mind yeah yeah I, I still keep it and actually I even programmed my software to like auto save and have like an ultra backup like like by the minute I have drafts of every change in case like I'm <laughs> so so annoying but um and you use final draft uh-huh okay, yeah yeah and I, I you could do that on microsoft too you could do like autosaves and then they take you to like a little folder that's in your hard drive that just like have every oh, wow. single draft existed since all the saves i just do that i just save them and date oh them. manually <laughs> just go i do it manually um i do that too i like i have that the software doing it and then I also have like I date it or the draft number like I have when I when I make big significant changes which is usually a couple sittings you know like mm-hmm, a few sittings mm-hmm. I just that's the draft I work with and then I save it and I do a new draft although um, I have to say like when I do go back and read those early drafts of a play that I've been working on for a long time it's so embarrassing <laughs> <laughs> so painful and I can't I, I have to force myself to read it you know yeah because usually I'm like wow this was just bad <laughs> but you know I feel like that first draft there's something like magical sometimes that's yes. in there that you're like oh I, there was so much play in this or like there was so much fun and and yeah something really I'm, alive alive that you it starts to 
get shaved down. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, there's something about the first. Well, and that's why I think it can be helpful to save them because it's a good record of what you were excited about when you first wrote it. And so if mm-hmm. you lose that thread, you know, if you're on draft 10, you're like, why am I writing this play again? <laughs> like, I think it can be helpful to go back and see where that energy was. Mm. Um, which reminds me of this next Twitter response that I got is that this is from Yi Chao. Um, he says, I don't. That's why I save all drafts. Most often, iteration leads to discoveries and improvement. But sometimes I drift away from the core of my piece or I mm. hit a dead end in an, in an exploration. So I go back and re-explore what came before. Um, yeah, I kind of like that. that. Yeah, I love that where um, that every draft is an iteration and then that each draft kind of leads to interesting discoveries or like they could inspire the next draft or the next um mm-hmm. what the play could be um but yeah i kind of like that that each draft is uh, serves its purpose in that way yeah it's like a recursive process where you're just mm. going over you're treading the same ground again mm-hmm. and again mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah um there's this one response that I've never heard anyone do this. Um, and I thought it was like, whoa, this is a very, like, very proactive, tangible thing that a person could do. Even though I feel like, I don't know, it's, it could be a lot. But uh, this is from Brandon B. Um, I've definitely made plays worse with rewrites. So last time I tried to combat that by keeping a revision log where I tracked not only what I changed, but why I changed it and having to articulate those reasons to myself made me more confident in my re-edits. Wow. Um, I just thought about, I just thought about, um, cause I have like a spreadsheet of just like what I've written, but I was like, hmm, should I do a new column? <laughs> just like, um, but I thought that was like a very interesting approach to rewriting. Um, do you think you would try that? Uh, Gosh, because, you know, it's so funny because, you know, I feel like oftentimes rewriting is so spontaneous and mm-hmm. uh, a lot, it's like really improvising that I'm like, I, I don't know if I could like, I don't know to what extreme, like, is it every line or is it, mm-hmm. um, or like a scenes, particular scenes? So I don't know. I, I think I want to do something similar, maybe a way to track but I don't know how we, I just don't know how I would organize it. And like mm-hmm. the thought of each draft having its own revision log seems intense to me. I mean, I like the idea because then you can go back and see yeah. what your thinking process was. Yeah. I think it would have been helpful if um I did a rewrite and then you're know, presenting it to a group and then like, oh, well, but that wasn't like, why did you do that? Or if they, they know your previous rights and then like I could go back. I'm like, yeah, so this is my thought process. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that's interesting. But yeah, keeping a log, a revision log. You know, I think when I was really starting out as a writer, I thought that good writers just like wrote a play and then they were done. Like I didn't mm-hmm. – I don't think I understood – the importance of revision and what rewriting actually is until I was well into my twenties. And I, and I would get so frustrated because I would write something and it wouldn't be good. And then I would be like, well, 
I guess this was a bad idea. (laughs) And so, or like I, it wouldn't work out the right the first time. And so then I just was like, okay, it's time to write a new thing, you know? Mm -hmm. And it took me a while. And and I remember my first year of grad school, I was just going up to people and being like, how do you rewrite? What is the process of rewriting? Somebody please explain to me how I can take what I've written and make it better. Because it just seemed so mysterious. And I thought, I was like, why isn't anybody teaching me how to like, I, I take a draft and improve it. <laughs> I remember you going around doing that and I had to apologize for you. I'm so sorry. Please leave her. I'm so sorry she's like this. I'm just, I'm just oh kidding. My God. <laughs> well, I'm not sorry. <laughs> Knocking on every door. It just is so it seemed so mysterious to me how yeah. people just knew what to change. And I honestly think nobody really knows either. <laughs> like yeah, I know. um I mean I think it's That's one of those I've things learned. yeah like I just think that it's a practice that I feel like people just start developing on their own and figuring out what works for them and um it, it, it is it's it really cool though to when I hear like this like revision log myself like oh I would never thought of that you know mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. to kind of just hear what other people um, other people's experience and what they've learned and their tricks and you know um, and well, I, I, I do think that. we can pull we can glean some actual concrete tips like what you mm-hmm. said about eliminating repetition yeah. is so key um, sometimes characters do th- say things the same thing over and over again in different ways and I see that a lot in first drafts, particularly in my students' plays. And like, if I go mm-hmm. back and re- read what I wrote when I was 19, I'm sure it's the same. Like, there's a lot of repetition in first drafts. Yeah. Um, and then another thing that I've learned to do is often the beginning of a scene is not necessary. And you can start much later in mm. the scene. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, compress or get rid of the first few lines or even first few pages. Um, mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. I want to write that but down. Like, when it comes that. down to like, how do you make something funnier or how do you make something move faster? I don't know. <laughs> I feel like I'm still yeah. trying to figure it out. I know. Sometimes I'm like, when I read with actors, I'm like, can you read faster? I'm <laughs> just thinking mm-hmm. of that. Yeah, constantly saying that. Yeah. Can you read faster? Can you read faster? Um, just yeah. Stop acting so much. <laughs> just kidding. You know, actually, I, and maybe if I learned this from sketch comedy, but in terms of um, speed, it's just shorter lines. Like, yeah, really short. That's like, so important. Um, and then just like, I feel like that when it helps, that could help with speed sometimes. It's just, finding a way to write that line shorter um and always ending always on ending that line with a a very specific word that's funny funny sound what like chicken <laughs> a chicken um you like, know i hadn't things. really put this together in my mind until just this moment uh-huh. but i wonder if the whole trend of slashes and dashes and you know a code for telling your actors how to read something like where to interrupt and 
Yeah. If that's all just people trying to get actors to read things faster, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah. Maybe we don't need to fill our dialogue with dashes and slashes. Maybe we can just say, <laughs> like, read yes. it fast. Read it fast. Yeah. Author's note. Read it fast. So this is interesting. So um, on Thursday, so I'm directing this children's play, like a short, a student, cool like nine year, nine year old. She wrote a play, and I'm directing it for oh, like a play by a child. Play by a child, yeah. Cool. And I wrote, um, I'm not wrote. Sorry, I, I'm directing it, and um, this is my second time participating in this program called Playmaking with Los Angeles Music Art and Art School. And and on Thursday, this is crazy, but I met with actors in a rehearsal room. It was a big space. So it was just the three of us. And it was like – because when they're going to perform it, it's going to be all recorded for um, YouTube. But then they're all going to be like 20 distance – 20 feet apart. And like they're going to – so it was kind oh, of like – that is um, so fun. And it was like, so it was my first time, uh, like, being with the actors and directing something and, like, talking about the play. Like, it was was the most, it was such a most weird, awkward thing ever because I felt like (laughs) other than Nick and myself and my cat, like, I haven't really, like, in person talking to someone, you know, it felt like strangers because I've never met these actors. Like, it was my first time meeting them in person. We met once on zoom just to kind of say hi but we never like working together and it was such a weird thing but also like i had this fear going in like oh my brain is going to like forget how to talk to people and how to direct or like how to but it it all just started coming back like it was just all it was like oh this is all this is all instinct like i know this and then how to talk to the actors and stuff. Like it's all coming, slowly coming back to me. Um, so that was that. But I only say the story because um, there was a scene or a line where <laughs> there's like a dash and um, it was really interrupt. And, and we're, we're, I was like trying to like how to communicate. It's like faster. It's like interrupt. And then I had to just give a clear direction. You just start speaking when he mm-hmm. says, he starts saying this line. Because it was, it was kind of like they're always anticipating the last word of the line to right. get to the next line. So it was it it almost like made me think about the dashes like like what like why I know on the page we want to instruct that mm-hmm. this is how we want to be read, but it's like it, I don't know. It's like you have to be in the room and maybe the director just has to say it. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes it just has to happen in the moment. I think. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Oh, I'm I, so yeah. I'm so like happy for you, and also envious of your <laughs> in-person theatrical experience. Oh, I was so anxious all day, like leading up to that, like driving and getting there, <laughs> and like I was like, I was just, I was just constantly thinking. Um, I don't, I don't, I think I forgot theater. Like, I don't think I know anything about theater anymore. I think I don't know. I was just like. <laughs> And then it went so well. Yeah, I thought it went really well. I loved it. And I had so much fun, like, just talking to the actors. It was this weird moment, though. Like, um, I mean, we were so safely distanced, and there was, like, doors open. It was, like, it felt like 
more than enough space, especially for three people in a big like art studio room. Like mm-hmm. I was like, this is enough space. But like the actors wanted to take off their mask and like you know, <laughs> they were still socially distant, but because they were having trouble speaking, and I was like, but I had my mask on still just for whoever wants to feel safe, aka me, <laughs> whoever wants to feel yeah. safe. Um, but um, and yeah, it was it was such a weird moment of uh let's i want to block this play let's get through this play and about also this like safety it's like safety like yeah I hope everyone, is everyone feeling still safe like everyone it was like a new like intimacy coordinator uh for but for like covid wow <laughs> you know it was oh like gosh, i wonder I, if they're gonna be like infectious disease on set i mean i feel like there there's a start of something like that um yeah they did that some play in new york or they're the outdoors um they had all like the actors live together they can't leave <laughs> i don't know wow. um, but i just kind of there was like another hat that i had to wear oh just yeah like, okay making just making sure we're all you know this actor doesn't go too close to her space or vice versa or like they're kind of okay you know so it was that was interesting um because they're because when they do perform, they will be like twenty feet apart, and they will have their they won't have their masks on, unless it's part of their costume. But it's not. But they won't have their mask on um, for recording. So I just thought that was it was such a, it was just, that was just a weird, interesting experience. I wonder when people will start kissing each other again on stage. Like, do you think that will ever happen? I sent you that. I sent you the CNN article that people have been buying condoms. Like, this, people having sex again. <laughs> I'm like I was laughing my head off. Like, wow. <laughs> oh, people just miss. Is there anything pre-COVID that you'll never feel comfortable doing again? Like I, I oh. keep thinking about, you know, hot food bars mm. or like all you can eat buffets. I don't mm-hmm. know if that's ever gonna come back. Buffets, um I honestly I can imagine coming back even stronger. <laughs> Um, no, what but I handshakes. Oh, hand, I I think handshakes definitely. I think for a really long time. I don't I don't see it coming back for sure. Handshakes. What about water? You know, drinking fountains. Um, the ones that where you have to like bend down and drink. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of don't see that coming back honestly but you know those machines when if you have your own water bottle yeah yeah still, yeah i could still see that still being around i think those yeah those because you have your own water bottle hygienic and you're not putting your mouth on the little spout exactly and then you're not touching anything you're just like all like automatic mm-hmm. so i could i mean i feel like that if anything hopefully that promotes people to have water bottle like have their own <laughs> drink their own water <laughs> Um, you're so eco-conscious, Sarah. It's it's not good. Um, <laughs> it's stressful. Um, let's see. I'm trying to think of what else. Um, uh, I, I I was gonna say like theme parks, but then I saw mm. this week Disneyland or like other these theme parks in California started opening up, and there was these pictures. Okay. People crying. They're like so happy to be back at Disneyland. And oh I'm like, my god! Are you? It's like this is not a religion. Like you were. What are you talking about? Like why are you crying about finally getting to Disneyland? I'm, like I don't understand the obsession. 
And I thought Disneyland was the most it's disgusting the place. place. On no, it's it's disgusting. <laughs> Kids farting in your face. You're smelling <laughs> all different kinds of smells that are not often good. Um, what about I water parks? Oh my god! Yeah, no, I think that's gonna come full force. Yeah, <laughs> like, I think you're right. Those people are like, I I think I saw somewhere that water park is gonna be open soon, and then people were like already lining up. I was reading that it used to be super common for people to just like share, you know, drinking cups, like water, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like you just go down to the, I guess, like your local saloon or whatever and like share a cup with everybody. Oh my God, yeah. And that all changed because of tuberculosis. And also, people used to spit on the street all the time. Like that was Ugh. totally socially acceptable Gross. just to like hack up your spit and spit on the street yeah. or the sidewalk. And then because of tuberculosis, all these towns banned public spitting. spitting. And so I was wondering, what's going to be the COVID equivalent? Mm. I remember like after sharing water bottle, like, hey, can I have some water? <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's such a weird feeling of like being really cautious of those things. But then there's also this tension of like, I want to be able to do those things. I want the option. Right. <laughs> like oh, if you yeah. were like wanting the, to do those things. Um, and so it's, I don't know. I I kind of want, the only thing I'm thinking about is that I'm always reading about we're close to next, we're always on the brink of a next pandemic. And so yeah. I'm just like, when's the next one? That. But on the other hand, it's so important that we are exposed to lots of bacteria because that's how we keep Mm. our immune systems strong and so if we go overboard and start sanitizing everything and like never come into contact with other people's germs that could have a really bad effect too yeah yeah Mm -hmm. i really i'm gonna go to disneyland tomorrow (laughs) no don't i mean like go when it's not busy (laughs) um have you ever been to disneyland I've been to Disney World in Disney Florida, World, but not Disneyland. Okay. All right. Let's go. I don't know. I mean, Let's I was go. the kind of kid who, like, grew up taking the subway, and I was probably, like, licking the pole on the train or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, That's you disgusting. Know, germs. They're oh. part of life. Like, train, like, subway stations or the trains have, like, so much fecal matter. <laughs> like, in- Yeah. It's okay. If you have a healthy immune system, your body can take care of that. Yeah. I'm so curious about the next flu season. I'm definitely I'm definitely going to keep my mask during flu season. Like I when I go to work, if this, mm. if I know someone's sick in the office, I'm going to wear a mask and like mm-hmm. I I just felt like a mask was pretty great. It was kind of nice. <laughs> yeah. And it's so funny cuz Asia, like China, Korea, like they wear masks. When like yeah. people get thick and it's like regular thing, but in the United States it was such a like a foreign thing to do. Where like other parts of the country of the world were, um, it's just normal. Normal, and so. But there, I mean, there's so many anti-mask people up here in the Like you see signs, no mask for me. Oh my god! But it's like M E, like the state of Maine. Yeah. Oh <laughs> no. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I had a family member getting yelled at in the street. The other day, like, well, for he was just like stepping out of his car to just put money on the meter 
and it was outside outdoors and then people were like yelling at him like wear a mask that's California. Like, wear a mask biden says to wear a mask no here it's like people yell at you if you are wearing a mask wow yeah so crazy all right well crazy. i think we've gotten a little bit far afield <laughs> from yeah topic um yeah so that's that that's about rewriting we're back <laughs> to it um let's move on to glistens all right you go first okay all right so a thing about me is that i'm afraid of the deep water of the ocean i'm afraid of fish i'm afraid of like live fish i i like sushi i like i like don't see where it came from like i like sushi <laughs> but i'm afraid of fish i'm afraid of the ocean i'm afraid of all things and i've been going this weird i don't know what it is i don't it's not like conquering a fear or anything but it's this weird like i can't stop looking at it um i've been following this youtube channel called catch them all fishing it's this guy named zach he lives in florida and his thing is like going to the water catching the biggest fish and he like keeps him as a pet like he has like a pool a pond. he calls it his like little baby pond he calls a pond in his backyard all main um man-made and he'll just like grab a fish cradle like a baby bring it into like another tank and like all right guys this is what i'm gonna take the parasites off of the fish and he like takes it off and like Ew. it's like the most disgusting. Is, are they like fleas what kind of parasites um you know i have no idea but it's like this thing they kind of like just live on the 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 fins and the, the scales like kind i think so maybe that's a way to describe it wow. but they're all like living in the same water so of course they're gonna keep getting parasites um but he's doing that and i've been following his story with shamu shamu is his his biggest fish that he has whichever that may be and there was this like oh there was one one video clip where he's like i'm gonna go feed shamu where's shamu i don't know where he is it's a hot day he's probably just hiding in the uh under the sh the shade there where shamu god you guys it's stinking here it stinks whatever and then he's like you guys i think i'm gonna throw up i found shamu shamu had like jumped out of the the pool and like landed <gasps> between the fans between the pool and was like been rotting there for like three oh four days god. and it was like the most horrific thing and i'm like this this man's relationship with shamu is just like crushed and i'm like oh disgusted oh, and it was like it's just it's it was like what do you call it i don't know large mouth big mouth bass it's like uh -huh. huge yeah. and then then after that it was just like his journey of finding his next shamu why doesn't he just let them be alone and free in he's the wild he's really obsessed he's really obsessed um so in this world of like me i'm then now now i'm just fall into this weird youtube hole of like fish and and people who collect fish and weirdly my parents own of a tackle shop so it's like i don't know maybe it's like i started doing social media stuff for them and then like and now i'm finding all these finding all these like so fish fish social media stuff um and then on cnn there was this in china there was this uh, guinness world record being broken of these people dressed as mermaids and like swimming <laughs> people chinese like chinese mermaids um they I love the article. I sent you the article, but it was this, they're like, it's a lot of like 
like a lot of muscle strength in the stomach to swim. You know, yeah, like you're probably you're like your using your core, your exactly. torso to flap your little fins. Yeah, and then like people are sharing how they love just like being in the water and like swimming with the fishes and like being underwater. Like they love it, and I just I just thought about like this two. I was like thinking about Zach who just collects and want to hold their fish hostage and people who want to be a fish. Like, it's just like, what is this world of people? And humans relationship to fish. Like, I don't know. I don't know. But that's been my fascination this past week or so. So there you go. And I sent you, I was reading about, I mean, on the topic of fish, somehow I ended up reading this article about like the history of the fish stick. (laughs) Wait, fish Um, stick or dick? Yeah, fish stick. Like, oh, stick. Like fish fingers. <laughs> stick. Okay, okay, stick. Okay, okay. <laughs> stick. Um, and apparently one in five, I think it was something like one in five young people in England think that fish fingers are the fingers of fish. <laughs> right, right. Oh, my God. Um, yeah. But apparently, Dumb. yeah, there were Is all that- these other foods that were made into sticks like in the middle of the 20th century, like eggplant sticks and I don't know, random other foods. But but like the fish stick was the only one that survived. Um, Well, my lesson is I got my second shot of the Pfizer vaccine and I am just really happy. No symptoms. And I had no side effects. I mean, no. I guess my arm was a little little bit sore, but, you know, I had been hearing people say they would get the shot and they didn't even feel it. And I honestly just thought they were lying because I was like, how can you not feel a shot? Mm. The first one I felt. Yeah. I mean, it didn't hurt a lot, but I felt it. But yeah. this nurse, I don't know if she had the magic touch. She gave me the shot and I did not feel the needle go into my arm. And then oh. I was sitting there like, <laughs> what if she's – sabotaging the vaccination efforts by like not actually giving people the shot all the way Mm. um so i told myself to stop being ridiculous yeah well do you do you do you like to watch when you get the shot or do you look away i i do not like to watch i mean Uh i guess i it it doesn't really bother me to watch but i didn't watch i just looked straight ahead i i always have to see it like i have to see i have to see the shot go in and like um, but yeah, second time for me, I didn't feel it. I didn't feel it either. And um, it's so, I mean, how is that even possible that like someone could stick a needle know, into your arm? And I know, you don't I feel know. It? Needles have been getting thinner, like smaller. Yeah, like, but do wonder- you still have nerves? Yeah, I mean, maybe you just don't have that many nerves in your muscle. Yeah, I kind of wondered if like that part where you got the shot, the arm. I don't know, maybe from the first dose is like. It's like all scar tissue. Scar <laughs> tissue. <laughs> yeah. Um, maybe. Um, but the first, yeah, the first night it was like a little sore, but second day I was like almost gone. There was no sore at all. First time, the first shot though, I was my arm was sore for like at least three days. Like really? Um, yeah, it was I, I was in a lot of pain in my arm. Um, but yeah, that's like the second time. I think I, I ate blueberries, so. Yeah, and you told me about that strategy, so I ate a whole bunch of blueberries, and I think that was the secret. You think it was a secret? I, I, I'm still skeptical, but, like, I did eat blueberries, too, and you ate blueberries, and then Nick, Nick, he, 
he ate a few blueberries, but I was like, you could eat more, but he was just like, <laughs> I'll eat I'll eat it. But And um, did he have side effects? I mean he was he was pretty lethargic for a couple of days, a few days. See, long. I really wasn't this your sister's idea about the blueberries? Yeah, she just said like eat a She's bowl of blueberries. I think so. She said like it's packed with antioxidants. It's gonna help you. Yeah. Um it worked. Yeah, it worked. All right, folks. Like, come on. Get vaccinated. Come on. Um <laughs> and don't forget to tell us what you think about rewriting. Your advice, your neuroses. We want to hear it all. Yeah, neuroses. I like that. I want I want that. <laughs> Alright. Thanks everybody. Bye. tuning in to another episode of Beckett's Babies. If you enjoyed what you heard or learned a thing or two about playwriting, be sure to like, subscribe, and share the podcast with your friends. And if you'd like to reach out and share with us your thoughts on playwriting and theater or maybe be a guest on the show, uh, be sure to visit our website at www.beckettsbabies.com. That's www.beckettsbabies.com and you can contact us there. Thanks for listening.